The podcast you are listening to is part of the Batman Podcast Network. For more information, go to batman-on-film.com. I don't think this is a safe place for man or droid. That fellow over there, for instance. He looks like the sort who would just as soon carbon freeze you as look at you. Oh my, he's coming over here. listeners that's the sound of the cybertronic spree taking us into another episode of in trouble again a star wars droid podcast the show where we talk about the 1980s star wars animated oddity droids the further adventures of r2d2 and c3po uh, i am your host william thrasher and with me is my counterpart matt bradley shergy how you doing matt doing pretty good and it's uh, hard to believe this is the last story arc on droids we'll be talking about uh, notwithstanding the final sort of tv movie but it's off to a great start. Uh, we are, of course, talking about uh, the 10th ep- the episode of Droids, Tale of the Rune Comets. And just to clear up, because this this is the story arc that I have the most clear memories of from when I first watched this series. I'm going to get this right off the bat. It's Rune, R-O-O-N, which is a type of mineral, not rune r u n e which is a type of mar- which is a type of sigil that has linguistic and ritualistic purposes right and they don't say how to spell it in the show really and so i i was confused by that as well um this is directed by Ken Stevenson and written uh off uh, by Michael Reeves off a story by Ben Burt so Ben Burt of course uh, has been involved i think in a few of the other episodes but he's best known as the sound design guy on um the original and prequel star wars trilogies and michael reeves has had a a big career uh, not just writing novels but he's done teleplays for such uh cartoons uh as um disney's gargoyles oh yeah that is a that is another show worthy of a podcast it is and they never came out with like the last batch of episodes i worked at a video store and disney had released i think volume one Season 1, Volume 1, or something like Volume 1, Volume 2, and they never came out with a Volume 3. Um, Would that have covered the Goliath Chronicles? I, I have no idea, but they, they did not finish the release of that, and we had people complain every day, saying, when I are bet. you getting the new Gargoyles in? Um, whether it's because People are hungry were, for that show. Uh, I think so, yeah. So, but yeah, Tale of the Rune Comments. Something that stood out to me uh, is this is another story arc where there's no real transition between one arc to to the other. So the previous episode, you know, Kobe and the Star Hunters ended with R2-D2 and C-3PO presumably just abandoned on the wilderness planet that Kobe left to become a zookeeper. Um, And this episode, boom, they're already working uh, with a new master, uh, a perfect... Perfect sci-fi name, uh, Mungo Boabab. 
Uh, Boabab, I believe, is a real... I think Boabab might be a real world. I feel like there's an ancient city called Boabab, but Mungo, I'm pretty sure, is a reference to the forest moon of Mongo from uh, from the Flash Gordon serials. Yeah, you're probably right. And with... Um, in a way, I mean, this whole episode is kind of like a loose remake of Star Wars A New Hope in some ways. You have them in a cantina, you have a tractor beam taking them somewhere. And we have a hidden base. Hidden base, right. I mean, a lot of different things going on. And I think unlike the other two story arcs, this begins uh, sort of in the middle of things where they already have a new master and they don't set up how they got that master. It, yeah, it just, it is what it is. The other thing is this is, uh, this episode ties more heavily into Star Wars in general, but also into the droid series uh, than the, than than any other episode we've seen. There are multiple callbacks to things in earlier episodes and things sort of rules that were established in earlier episodes that have payoffs here, which is something I really like. Also, Mungo Bayabab, another character that looks like he stepped right out of the Star Wars West End role-playing game. He's got his Will Riker goatee. He's got a bit of a ponytail. He dresses like a cross between a 1970s uh, piston or gearhead and a 17th century pirate. Yeah, and this episode starts with them meeting Crocs, who is this two-headed fella in a cantina to get um, some to get a map on how to get to the rune system. And you know the the very opening shot of this episode is amazing because it's a city landscape reflected in the eye of a stormtrooper. Yeah, that you see the stormtroopers, I think, is notable. We haven't seen much of them so far. I don't think we've seen any of them. But yeah, maybe not any. Um, We've seen Imperial officers, I think, before in the last episode where they're in the race or whatever. Uh, but, yeah, other than that, I think, you know, seeing the stormtroopers always helps. And, and they the design is faithful to the films. I mean, it works within the animation style. There's also a yak face alien and one of those Moebius guys. Uh, but, yeah, and this, and this map, uh, so... It gets pieced together, but Mungo Bayabab, he's he is a member of the uh, the Boabab uh, Trading Company, this big merchant fleet. I don't know if he's flat out in charge, or maybe he's the son of the people in charge. Maybe he's the heir apparent. His exact relationship isn't established, but he they're in desperate need of a new trade route, and he wants to open a trade route to this place called uh, the rune system, which is the source of this, these rare gems called rune stones. And this is one thing that is never quite established is exactly like, is exactly what the rune system's relationship is to the rest of the galaxy, because it's not part of the empire, but it's apparently not, was never part of the Republic, but also it's hidden within a, within a nebula called the veil or the cloak of the Sith, which is a great name. But they they need the map, I guess, to... They need a map of the system, but they don't need the map to find the system because they find out it's in the Veil of the Sith in the archives. But then the Empire still gets involved because they sent a probe into the Veil of the Sith. They, I, th- I think there's a bit too much time setting up this adventure, but I do like the idea that what the map reveals is that this system is in the path of this the rainbow comets this like weird dual comet formation and that they should be able to follow the comet through in through the veil of the sith to get to the system and that leads to some amazing imagery 
But before there in the cantina, in the beginning, you have a ridiculous scene of R2-D2 dancing. Not just dancing, but break dancing. He, he, he goes dancing, right up to yeah. a jukebox and starts moonwalking and his head slides around. It's very overindulgent. It also doesn't, it also like the pop, the pop music that's playing out of it sounds a bit too modern and a bit too generic at the same time. Although it does pay off because it turns out the Empire is looking for Boabab. So stormtroopers attack the cantina and the way they escape from them is that R2-D2 plugs himself back into the jukebox and plays a frequency that scrambles the audio amplifiers and the stormtroopers' helmets. Which is clever. And uh, so, I mean, there's new characters in the show. What do you think about Admiral... Tyrannold Screed. Well, we did see him before because Admiral Screed was in the audience of the Bantu classic in uh, Race to the Finish. So once again, a character that was set up. And he's also uh, the the commanding officer of a uh, carrier star destroyer like the ones that the pirates of Tornuga stole. So, hey, do you think that's the same ship or do you think it's just another ship of the, of the same class? I think it's another ship of the same class. But a- as a villain... I absolutely love him. He's voiced by uh, Graham Campbell. He has a wonderful character design where he has uh, metal plates on his head and over his eyes. He has cybernetic arms. He has this wonderful, imperious voice. And he always sounds very threatening whenever he speaks. Uh, Very tall, very imposing. Also, did you notice he also has uh, that uh, the same mouth... Uh, or the same mouth charts, the same teeth, the same lips, the same kind of sneers as the, uh, oh, crud, as the villain from the Nurgon 14 episode. I did not, but uh, but that's a good catch. But yeah, I, I like the way he looks with the robot eye, and he just, the way he talks, you can tell that he means business. But, um... And he and he had he has it in for the Aboabab trade company for for whatever reason. Uh, the and of course he's a bad guy. I guess he doesn't need much of a reason. Uh, and he gets uh, anyway. They they have uh, just recovered a probe droid from the Vale of the Sith, uh, and the probe droid has a recorded message. And I I still like that they scale back the animation when it's a hologram that helps sort of communicate the look of the holograms from the movies. But it's a message uh, from. A guy calling himself Governor Kroon, who claims to be the the person in charge of the, the rune system, and he wants to sort of extend a hand in friendship to the Empire, uh, get the Empire on his side, get himself on the Empire's side, and gives him a gift, uh, gives them two gifts, one coordinates through the veil, the Cloak of the Sith, but also one of the rune stones to prove that they have a resource that the Empire is going to be interested in. So they're expecting the Empire, but Mungo and the droids get there first. Yeah, there's some flying around, there's some space there's some space antics, there's following the comet's tail. But yeah, when Mungo's cruiser passes through the cloak of the Sith, it's immediately literally swallowed up by this awesome looking vulture shaped uh space station. Uh and because uh Governor Kung is expecting Imperial Envoys, he assumes Boabab is the Imperial Envoys. So we get some good mistaken identity stuff with Mungo and the droids pretending to be from the Empire and getting a tour of a Kung's whole operation. And what we discover is that Kung isn't so much a governor as a space pirate with delusions of grandeur. Um that this whole uh 
he calls it a salvaging operation, but it's all piracy. This uh, vulture-shaped space station broadcasts a phony telemetry beacon, so they lure ships through the Veil of the Sith and you know, strip them down and plunder them for all they're worth. So they have lots of uh, lots of uh, useful things on board. They have the rare alien delicacy mupples, which do look like Muppets. That's That's got to be intentional. I think so. The mupples are these fuzzy little things with eyes. Uh, they reminded me a bit of the Muppets that do that. Na-na-na-na uh, number. Yeah, there's um, something and- kind of like that. There's also those two-legged wobbly Muppets that look kind of like slinkies. Yes, and also a bit of like the Tribbles from Star Trek where there's just a lot of them. Oh, yeah. And stacked the- on top of each other. And the other thing they have a lot of that they've, that they've plundered from other ships is Nurgon 14. Yes, Nurgon 14. Who could forget that? <laughs> the other thing the other thing that stands out, and this is just kind of a minor, just two, like, they're two recycled designs, which I feel really help the show, is that one, uh, there's this, like, floating cart that they use to travel around throughout the space station, which is the same floating cart that... Um, that Absalom, the guy who owns the speeder company, used in Race to the Finish. Uh, But also, there are cargo containers that are the same, for lack of a better term, cargo coffins that Jan uh, and his group hid in uh, in the uh, Trigon Unleashed. Yeah, so to see these sort of Easter eggs all throughout, I think, is is fun. And that I like that Kuhn's operation collecting Lurinian ships and collecting the scrap like it makes sense it's not complete uh it's not complete nonsense for the sake of the plot and but pretty soon after they do the tour then the real uh imperials arrive with screed and we get a tidarian shuttle yeah you get a tidarian shuttle i love that design and uh um you know coon realizes he's been had so there's a there's a merry chase as they chase Mungo and the droids around uh, the ship, but in the end, um, they are all uh, they are all captured. Uh, Mungo is thrown into the into a cargo container with all of the mupples, uh, where turns out there's a there's this wily old prospector looking guy uh, named Noop uh, Yeldarb, who it turns out, or backwards, uh, backwards that would be. Bradley Bradley Poon. That's got to be somebody's name. Now that I think about it, if it's Bradley backwards, there has to be somebody named Bradley Poon. I might do some research into that. Check in later, please. Um, which leads. I don't know if you caught this, but so you've already said that there's like a triple reference with the Mupples. Did you catch the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy reference? No. So when um, when Mungo uh, wakes up and he starts talking uh, to Noop. Uh, you know they're going. They're talking back and forth. Like, well, do you have a plan to escape? Of course, I have plenty of plans to escape. But they all hinge on us being on the other side of this door, which is ex- oh, the oh, same yeah. line from the Vogon Constructor Fleet airlock <laughs> from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Right. Yeah. There's no way that's not intentional. Um, and, and that the heroes are captured, and then three PO they're gonna wipe his mind is a uh, an interesting a bit of business where they're trying to drag that out as much as possible in 3PO. Yeah, regrettably nothing nervous. Nothing really comes from it, but you do you, you do 
you are afraid from C-3PO, but it also gets kind of meta. So um, uh, Kuhn has this sort of yellow mantis alien who has these poisonous spines that can knock you unconscious, who's doing all of his dirty work because you're his right-hand man. He's the one in charge of wiping C-3PO's mind, and and he says... Do you have a preference for a new name to go with your new personality matrix? And, and C-3PO says, well, I have always been partial to Anthony. Wait, no! That being a reference to Anthony Daniels, the actor that voices C-3PO. Yeah. Well, turns out Noop can put the mupples to sleep uh, with a whistle, but R2-D2 was never captured. So R2-D2 sneaks around. Uh, busts everybody out. There's another Mary Chase, but as the Mary Chase proceeds, the crates of unstable Nergon 14 fall over and start to ignite and start to explode. So explosions start going o- going off all over the space station. Uh, so, and this is, and, and uh, you can tell that, that Kung and Screed are playing off of each other, but Screed is always going to get out of this with the upper hand. Um, what, what, however, their negotiations are going to proceed. Um, but as the ship, as the station starts to explode, um, they decide that they're going to flee, but they're going to take Mungo's ship because it's the fastest ship in the station. So the bad guys get the hero ship, and the heroes have to escape on a like I think like it's like a repurposed like tugboat for all intents and purposes. And we get a really nice shot of the space station falling out of its orbit and crashing into an asteroid. Uh, it's the animation there is really good, right? And and that they escape and the station explodes but the bad guys also escape it's uh it's an exciting little moment and i like that because i thought for a second oh of course we're going to have a few episodes on this uh starship and it, it looks not to be the case yeah but uh it turns out that so they they refer to the vulture starship as the new umbu light station uh, so Noop was the guy in charge of the first, the original Umbu light station. Well, he reopens it. It starts broadcasting a real navigational beacon that will I presumably allow for safe hyperspace navigation in the region. Um, and some stakes are established because uh, Mungo points out that the ship they're on is so old and rickety and unpowered. There's no way they can ever they can leave the system in it. And uh, so they're going to have to get their own ship back and get runestone so they can pay for fuel. So that establishes what's going to be happening in uh, further episodes going forward. And I, I like the, the pacing of this episode a lot. I think it's a simple enough story that they can get to point A to point B. They don't have a lot of extraneous characters um, that you get to see sort of the, the different nature of these two villains with, with Kuhn, who's very gruff, but he has you know pretty high aspirations of himself uh, compared to Screed, who is just... You know, all all business, and uh, his voice is just that perfect kind of '80s villain. Well, it's um, the perfect, it's the perfect imperious British accent that we've come to know and love in our imperial officers. Yeah, yeah, no, that's consistent with the movies, yeah, and the mupples will be in a bit silly. You know, don't don't seem entirely out of place. This is you know less ridiculous than say C three PO having like a, a big purple monster fall in love with him or whatever happened in the <laughs> last episode. True. They, they, there's just the the right amount of comic relief. Although, although R two D two break dancing is still, I think that's a, a that's a tick too far as far as droid antics go. But yeah, this this episode does everything right and does everything I like Star Wars doing. Right. Um, 
should be noted this story arc it was recut into a feature film version called Treasure of the Hidden Planet, and it was included on the Star Wars Droids DVD that came out in 2004. You know, something else I noticed is that Admiral Screed did have a bit of a legacy. He shows up multiple times in the official Star Wars chronology, but he's also a character in the uh, Star Wars Rebellion uh, video game. Oh, okay. Like, he actually flat out shows up in that game. He has a graphic and everything. I love the pixelated Admiral Screed. And, and once again, I got to compliment that name. Screed is a great name for an evil admiral. It is, it is. <laughs> I almost feel like making my new Twitter avatar. Uh, I would make my new Twitter avatar the pixelated Admiral Screed if I hadn't already made a commitment to only use my original art for that avatar. <laughs> All right. All right, yeah, so I'm curious to see where we go uh, next week. Yeah, this episode left me at a really high place. So I think that means it is time to move on to Droid Eye for the Jedi. Yep. Where we take a character, where we each take characters from this episode and try to figure out who is secretly a Jedi Master. Do you have a theory? I do. My theory is that uh, Noop Yaldarb is secretly a Jedi Master. Really? On what grounds? Well, just on the grounds that um, he's captured and he's waiting for someone to come that would have the wherewithal on how to escape. And I think he's suddenly using Jedi mind control is uh, telling the droids, R2-D2 and specifically, what to do to um, disable the station and now, do you think that, escape. Do you think that might also be how he uh, controlled the mupples? The whistling was just a cover? He was using a mind trick on them? Uh, well, I think more than that. I think he himself did the whistling sound, kind of like Obi-Wan Kenobi did in the Star Wars. Oh, my Goodness, there there is there is something to be said for that. Now, originally, I thought that uh, Admiral Screed might in fact be the secret Jedi Master. However, I can't see the Emperor allowing a rival Jedi to rise that highly in the Imperial power structure unless he's very much under his thumb. So, I'm thinking that the secret Jedi Master is in fact Gaff, who is that yellow uh, mantis alien that we mentioned. Uh, he's clearly an expert in martial arts. He's got a creepy voice. He has sinister motives. But also, I said that he has these venomous spines that allow him to knock people unconscious. That's the implication. But we never ever see him use them. We only see him stroke them after he mentions uh, putting uh, putting Mungo to sleep for a few hours. Which makes me think that stroking is just a self-satisfied affectation. I think he used the dark side of the force to either choke Boabab into unconsciousness or to just knock him out using a, just a, a thrust of suggestion. Hmm. And you know, he's just using Kung. Kung's going to be his sacrificial, his, his scapegoat, his sacrificial animal. The moment Kung outlives his usefulness... That's when Gaff will openly take over. But within, within this situation, if anything wrong, goes wrong with this scheme, obviously Kung will be the one who takes the fall. Uh, that's pretty compelling. It's hard to argue against that. Well, I, I accept your concession. 
Now we're going on to another segment. Ah, yes, that would be Expanded Universe, where we talk about a piece of Star Wars media that is not a movie that we've been enjoying this past week. Yeah, I've been trying out a a Game Boy Advance game that came out during uh, Attack of the Clones, and it's called Star Wars The New Droid Army, which is a bit of a mouthful of a title. Um, Game Boy Advance, uh, you play as Anakin Skywalker, and I, I think what I liked about this game is it's sort of an isometric perspective, and there's sort of puzzles involved and like in the beginning you're you're going to uh tatooine and you have to get people things uh in um in the cities and tatooine and while fighting droids at the same time and you have sort of like a big area to explore it's different kind of gameplay because a lot of these story wars games um especially like on game boy are just side scrolling and sort of simple and this one it doesn't tell the story of the movie it's sort of an original story um about rumors of the separatists are creating droids and so you have to look into it, and um, I, I just like that the scope of it was a bit different. It's not a great game. It's really ugly looking, but um, I appreciate that they tried something different and kind of incorporated some light adventure game elements into the proceedings. Very cool. Do you, do you think it would be worth uh, me tracking down on an emulator? Um, it wouldn't hurt, but I mean, keeping it, it's it's not great. The, the Attack of the Clone games, in particular, around that time, like weren't weren't excellent i just like this one because it was a bit different cool so i've uh decided to go a a little bit farther afield and i decided to uh revisit two star wars song parodies the only two uh by weird al yankovic uh one being yoda from the 1985 album dare to be stupid the same year that uh the droid series came out which is a parody of the song lola by the kinks all based around the jedi master yoda and the 19, from 1999's album Running With Scissors, The Saga Begins, which is a Weird Al parody of American Pie by Don McLean that retells the entire plot of Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Hmm. And um, do you have a preference between uh, them? Between, between the two, uh, I would say, uh, I would say Yoda, uh, I've I've listened to both these songs a lot, revisited them over the past week. Also, I've seen Weird Al live, and I've seen him perform both of these songs live, uh, and they're both they're both great live. Uh, which uh, I believe he actually, when I saw it live, he actually did as a medley. He started with the Saga Begins, and then went into Yoda, and then did the extended version of Yoda with all the nonsense scatting, which I really do like that version of the song which I believe he only does that live. I'm not aware of any version of that on any CDs. Although I guess by now he has to have a live CD. But I think the main difference is they're both good parodies, but Yoda, I think, has the edge because the saga begins as good as it is and as as well as he uses American Pie and the story of Phantom Menace to weave his own own song, uh, it overstays its welcome. You know, uh, Time is money, fast is funny, as Greg Proop said, and Yoda gets the edge because it doesn't stay too long. The joke never gets stale. Right. I mean, so I, I've done uh, Saga Begins as karaoke a few times, and unfortunately, nice. the karaoke tracks have loud applause throughout the whole track. Why? I don't know. It's a very strange. Um, speaking of, you know, Weird Al concerts, uh, they released, I don't know if it was a CD, but they had a DVD of him doing a live show. And if you have Stitcher Premium, they have every one of his concerts he did on his tour from a few years ago where he 
did only original songs. And then I think for the encore, he does a few parodies at the end. Nice. Um, in fact, I tried to get tickets to Weird Al's concert this year, which is his theme is he's doing it with a live orchestra. But um, it, the tickets sold out like within less than a minute. I bet he's hotter than he's ever been. He is, um, even though he has not done an album, I think, in five years, maybe. But yeah, he's been doing a lot of touring, even going to countries he hasn't been to before, like Australia. So, Oh, and I should, I should say, to, to provide credit where credit's due, um, you know, Weird Al, though he is an icon, he does not work alone. Uh, so the Saga Begins was also, was, was also written by Bruce DeFro Scruggs and Yoda uh, Ray Davies. Oh, actually, I guess Ray Davies might be the guy from The Kinks. Yeah, yeah, he's the guy from The Kinks, so he does get songwriting credit as he came up with the melody. Yeah, pretty neat. Um, Cool. So next week we're talking about the Rune Games episode of Star Wars Droids. That should be fun. I cannot wait to. I cannot wait to see how this goes. And this is, and this is the other thing that I think is why this particular series stands out in my mind is that this was uh, I when I when these episodes reran on the Sci-Fi Channel was when I was seriously considering just trying to really to do art for the rest of my life. And so my high school notebooks were filled with characters from this story arc, not just the droids, but a lot of the villains and aliens. And most of the ones that I would draw show up in the rune games. I am sort of fascinated that after the initial run of droids episodes, you had a direct to TV movie called the great heap. That's a prequel to this final story arc. Yeah. It makes me wonder like, did, why exactly that happened. Although then again, maybe, maybe that's just a George Lucas thing. Maybe he just has a thing for narratives that aren't in sequential order. Um, the Indiana Jones movies aren't in sequential order. Uh, we of course know that the droids episodes aren't in sequential order. The star Wars trilogies aren't technically in sequential order because of the way the prequels show up. Uh, the episodes in the clone wars animated series, those are also not in sequential order. Do you think that's just a theme of his work? Uh, it could be. I think, you know, that he plays fast and loose with the chronology. Even, you know, I was reminded that the Star Wars Clone Wars cartoon, especially in the first two seasons, the episodes are not in chronological order. And then I read what epi- what order you should watch the show in, and my brain kind of exploded. Because <laughs> yeah, it's all are. over the place. Yeah, isn't, isn't there a season three episode that takes place before all the other episodes in the series? Yeah, I think there's a season three episode that takes place before the movie or something. Um, but yeah, so. And um, whether this final batch of, I think you'd call it season seven or something, uh, episodes of the Clone Wars cartoon that are coming on Disney Plus will tie it in directly to the beginning of Revenge of the Sith. I have no idea, but it'll be interesting to see how they do that. Part, part of me wonders. <laughs> right. Um and part of me wonders, does that mean you would keep Tim Curry as the Emperor, or no? I, I want more Tim Curry, so I would hope so. Maybe he's not even in those episodes, although I find that hard to believe as it gets closer and closer to Revenge of the Sith. Or maybe they'll, maybe they'll just get the guy who records the Emperor's laugh for the trailers to do it. Well, that's Ian the real Mc... actor. That's Ian McDermott, yeah. So, yeah, that could be. Um, man, who knows? 
so yeah for in trouble again um this is matt you can follow me on twitter at m-a-t-w-b-t and this is his counterpart thrasher you can follow me on twitter at internet mayor uh, leave us a review on apple Podcasts. just look up sequel cast two and friends you're part of that group of podcasts and so um a review would be appreciated and hell, check out Sequel Cast 2 as well. Um, also, check out Cybertronic Spree, who performed our theme song. Of course. Um, so for Star Wars Droids, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. Saying. Oh, well, I've always been partial to Anthony. Anthony.